Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. Let's talk about grief. Don't you ever wish that someone would have told you what grief would be like? Not just a death grief, but all of it, like everything else in between. Grief gets shoved into the dark corners of only being acceptable when someone dies. But as Kate Bowler so perfectly explains in her book, No Cure for Being Human, grief comes at the expense of so much more than just a flat line. She writes, I did not understand that one future comes at the exclusion of all others. Everybody pretends that you can only die once, but that is not true. You can die a thousand possible futures in the course of a single stupid life. That has to be the most beautiful thing I've ever read. Depressing, yes, but beautiful and true. I've died at least a dozen times already. Haven't y'all? I'm so proud of today's episode. We interviewed Whitney Curran and had the best conversation on grief and what it looks like to walk away from the strangles of the fertility world to make peace with a childless life and what it can do to your marriage. Our talk was a beautiful reminder on what women will go through to get the chance to be a mom, and she's the honest friend who talks about grief in ways that we need more of. Whitney's story is unique to the undelivered, but not so different from so many other women who face this struggle. Her story of trying to be a mom is one that stretches over a decade and sent her and her husband all the way to Denver and home again, empty-handed. Here's her story. Welcome back to the Undelivered Podcast, everybody. We are so thankful you're here. I am Bailey Henry. I have with me my loyal companion, my <laughs> confidant, Ashley P. Worthington, my girl. Ashley P. Ashley P. We met on the internet. Some people thought we were crazy, but we are madly in love. And well, she we are I. crazy. But... <laughs> we are crazy. <laughs> Sorry, that was loud. But we are, um, you are my girl. How you doing over there? You're not going to the Nelly concert. Not. I'm we sorry. are, I have sick, sick kiddos. I've got a baby that we can't get to sleep. He's a big mm-hmm. contact sleeper right now. Um, so yeah, I hired my dear friend, Jocelyn, who was a sleep consultant. She helped me out yesterday, but it's going to oh. just take a few days to, you know, implement some changes. So yeah, I was going to have my first big girl night away with all, all my mom friends up here. And that went yeah out the window, but it's okay. My mom is here. We're going to organize my house. All, all will be well. Organize your house or go to Nelly. I think you're making the right decision, really. <laughs> I mean, it, it truly, it needs to be done. But anyhow, so yeah, that, that's today. That's me. Yeah. Look, you can listen to Nelly while you organize your house and it'll be exactly the same. Mm, I was honestly more excited about seeing Ja Rule, oh. if we're being real. And that's You're not joking. No. Okay. Huge. Like back in the day, Ja Rule and Ashanti. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The they, juxtaposition. They were both, both going to be there. Oh, and Ashanti? Yes. My 13 year old heart is broken right now. All right. I'm really sorry about that. I didn't know mm-hmm. you were getting like a, like a trifecta. Yes. It's like a 2001 hip hop yeah. concert. Yes. All right. Well, okay. Anyhow. Next time. Yep. Next time. I'll be all right. We are so excited for today's conversation. Um, when Ashley and I were lining up 
interviews for season three, I felt super, super compelled to share a woman's story because guys, we give it our all, don't we? I mean, I know we've had a few interviews lately that are not super touching on infertility or trying to grow your family, but that will always be our center focus. That will always Mm -hmm. be our compass. And sometimes in the infertility journey, you, you got to call it. And I know that that is hard. Um, I know that I have had that conversation with my own husband and my own family members. Um, but we wanted to be sure to speak with a woman to shed light on that side of the coin for infertility and otherhood and womanhood and what that looks like and feels like to give it your damnedest to be a mom and then just kind of say, okay, I tried. Um, so with that, we are so excited to have Whitney. Hello, Whitney. Hello. How are y'all? We're so good. Thank you so much for being here. Thank y'all for asking me. Um, we are so looking forward to just hearing your story, um, because you're, you are on the other side of this. This was a while ago with your age, if you're comfortable saying your age. Absolutely. I'm 47. Yeah. And so So our journey began at, um. about 30 we got married at 28 so our journey began at like 32 33 ish so and it extended well into our late 30s and then yeah so a big chunk of time that's a decade Mm -hmm. you know that's that's your 30s when you look back you when you're in it you can't you know but um but yeah it was uh but the other side is has been um unexpected like good yeah Mm. yeah well, that's so good to hear. Start us wherever you're comfortable. Um, certainly, I want to know if you, because we just got done having another conversation with our friend Mary Beth about this. Did you always know that you wanted to to be a mom, or that was yes. a dream for you? You can start yes. us there. So, like, I um I had a little brother, and um I was in the middle of two boys. So, like, we were all six to seven years apart, not planned that way. Oh wow! But like, I was immediately a mama hen to my little brother and then um I babysat all the kids in the neighborhood I had a set of twins that I've raised with their mama you know and um I even babysat well into like college years and would you know just spend sleep over and stay if the parents went on a trip or whatever so nurturing um nature is what I have I mean I you know just how I was made but um but yeah, I always wanted kids, always, always wanted kids and looked forward to it, you know? Yeah. So, so when did, when did you get married? We got married in 2003. So almost 20 years. Yeah. Oh, wow. I know. Isn't that like crazy? Weird? Yeah. To I think know. about. It's weird. And then it's like, you know, we had some friends, like part, part of our friend group got married right out of college. So they're going on like 25, 24, and then the rest of them kind of got married around the time we did. So it just doesn't seem like that long at all, you know? Yeah. And then you look at kind of where life led you and what you went through. And like you just said, like, that's a decade that we, and it really was, but didn't feel like it, you know? Wow. Yeah. So, oh, did you have a question, Ashley? No. Did you, um... I think we're just amazed at how fast time flies. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> um, so did you have any like red flags before you got married? Any 
PCOS or anything like that would that would kind of so, tip you off? Yeah, so I didn't trouble. have PCOS, but I have endometriosis. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's not diagnosed unless you have the exploratory surgery, a lap, you know. And so when I was younger, I had just terrible time every month, like, you know, before I'd go to school, I'd throw up and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, anyway, so I knew, you know, my cycles were intense and bad from a young age. So I knew something was wrong. And sometimes my pain would get so bad that I would faint, you know, like just a, um, what do they call it? Syncope. Yeah. And so um, I knew something wasn't right, but, you know, too, y'all probably touched on this some, and I've been through this a lot with different, different deals, but, um, but, you know, you go to a doctor for help and you describe everything, you know, and, and nothing is wrong with a male physician, a male OBGYN, but a lady, you know, can kind of, she can relate better to you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would describe my symptoms and then it would just be kind of passed off, passed off. And so I would take like Advil, Nanproxen, you know, before a leap came out on the market. So I tried everything. And finally I got, I switched to an OB that's a female that went to the place in Colorado where we went and she had two babies and, um, she just put me on a protocol that like changed my life. And, you know, it, it, my endometriosis was at bay at times, but then it would flare back up. Mm -hmm. But I've had so many, um, in the preparation for, uh, the the IVF, I've had several laps done and it just, you know, it's just one of those things, endometriosis. It's like, if you can get pregnant on it, 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 it cures it for that amount of time, but it's just getting pregnant is what's the hard, hardest thing. But so, I kind of have a feeling it might be, and it was hard for my mom. She said she went on Clomid back in the seventies. Okay. And that's what had, I was going to ask if there yeah. was like a family history. Yeah. So mom, um, it took her a year to have me. And, um, and I think dad had like a very small issue, you know, with, um, count, but, uh, he, they had my old, he had my older brother from his first marriage, but my mom raised him. So it's just, there's no different. Right. Um, and then me, and then it took another that long, six to seven years to have Parker, my little brother. Okay. That's um, why there's the age gap then. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's Mm -hmm. why I'll say it wasn't planned that way, but dad had a procedure. It's called a varicocele. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty common. And, um, they, all they do is just kind of, you know, create an opening for the sperm and then it, you know, so it worked and they had Parker. So, um, yeah, but there is a history. And then, you know, my aunt had a hard time getting pregnant with my cousin, several miscarriages. I've never had a miscarriage, but, um, but my cousin, her daughter, I mean, she never had a problem getting pregnant. So it's just weird how it, it runs in families, you know, it does. Because you would think there's not a genetic component to it, but I think there is. No hmm. doubt. We have yeah. it running. It runs in my family too. My, my sister, my little sister used to have, like she's fainted before all, all, everything you just said. I was like, wow, I, that's a very familiar sounding picture for sure. Did she get help? I mean, did she, a doctor help her? She does yet. Yeah, well, I say, yes, they slapped a birth control prescription on her and called it a day, but yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm the same way. Cause I mean, I've had a total hysterectomy last summer. 
So it's different now. I mean, it's, it's, I feel the best probably I've felt in a long time. Oh, Gosh, wow. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Which that was so, kind of a hard bridge to come to, but I knew that I would get there one day, you know? Yeah. But it also really, really closed the door completely. For sure. You mm-hmm. know, it's a permanent, the huge permanent decision. Very. To very. make. Yeah. So how long did y'all try like naturally to conceive before? So we tried for a year and probably that was probably 30 to 31 age 30 to 31. And then after a year, you know, the OB advises, okay, let's try letrozole. Let's try Clomid. So we kind of danced with that for about eight months. And then I just knew it wasn't going to happen on its own. I just got that feeling. And so um, I had my first laparoscopy by my IVF doctor here. And that's when they found the endometriosis. And so I knew, you know, it was bad. And, um, that surgery was, was tougher than some, you know, cause I just never, I don't think I'd ever really had, I'd had like one minor surgery leading up to that. But, um, but anyway, so that, you know, removed it and then you have to heal before you can start the IVF cycle. Not only that, but certain doctors made you back then do three IUI rounds before IVF, which I knew that wasn't going to work for me either, you know? But did, so, so did we, you have to do it? Did they make you do that first or were you able did, to bypass? Uh, no, I did two IUIs and then I just looked at them and I said, I'm not going to do the third one. I, mm. I'm ready to order the shots. I'm ready to get the show on the road, you know? Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of where, you know, our jumping off point, but I mean, I just, I pushed real hard for that and too hard and I worked constantly and I just never stopped. I never sat down. I didn't, you know, it was a, it was a disaster, you know, cause I went into it just real geared up. It was so expensive. A, you know, my in-laws paid for that round and, um, everything about it, I put too much on myself. Like the day they called me about my pregnancy test being, um, me not being pregnant, I was getting on a plane to go to market for work. Oh, and man. so I'm on the plane with these huge sunglasses, just bawling by myself. Oh. And you know, when you're going through that, y'all know it's the loneliest I've ever been in my whole life. Uh, Yeah. And you know, it's like, you know, Michael didn't realize that, but also none of my friends were trying to have babies then. So I was by myself, you know, you don't know it. You don't know how to comfort someone because you don't know what it's like until you've been there. So, you know, it just was a, but anyway, Michael ended up getting a flight. His boss was like, you need to go be with her. So Aww, he blew up and it was really, it was like one of our, I mean, I'm going to tear up talking to y'all, but it was like one of our probably most treasured, precious moments. But you know how you always, people, our parents age always say out of, you know, heartbreak and heartache comes like a blessing or a, you know, a tender moment. And that was, yeah. ours, you know, so, I mean, he really, you know, came to the rescue and it just made everything so much better, you know? Uh-oh. Yeah, that, it was, that is sweet. I mean, because it's oh, been it was like almost a, it was 20 like a movie years. moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like him walking down the street and I just was so relieved to see him, you know? So uh-huh. I hate, I hate to say the term back then, <laughs> but oh, I mean, well, we're talking about I'm using it several times because it's like infertility in itself has evolved yes. triple fold since I went through that. I mean, I had a friend, I have several friends that have gone through it 
and you know a few haven't been, a been, been able to have them and they're like Michael and I just total empty nest and um and then our other friends it has worked for so even talking to the friends that have done it after 40 um it's so different you know I mean some things are parallel but some are different you know and it just yeah. depends on where you go and your doctors and how advanced their equipment is and you know that sort of thing so back then did they did you go through any kind of testing other than they just found the endometriosis and they're like this is it this is your problem did y'all have to go through any yeah no that was the diagnosis and um you know so we kind of started the shots and everything and geared up for that and then um you know when they went to retrieval time, it was like, everything looks real good. You've got several follicles, you know, da, 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 da. And then you go to the egg retrieval and it was like, however many I had say they got seven, five were vital. And mm -hmm. they, back then they also split, like they put three in a Petri dish and two in the other and forced did XE on some and let the other ones do natural. Well, the ones that were natural, we were like magnets, like, you know, they wouldn't fertilize, but the ones they forced with the um, XE did. And so there was really only one that had the most cell division. And you know how like the lab calls you every day and says, you're a blast, blah, 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 blah. I, you know, I don't, still don't know a lot of the terms, No, <laughs> but <laughs> what you seek and what you want, you know? And um, so when they did the uh, transfer, they transferred three and I didn't know it. And I was like laying there because you know, you're under that light sedation, you know, yeah. I don't know if it was state all, I don't know what it was, but it was like, we were laughing because the ladies were like, it's like a margarita, you know, <laughs> okay. I've been drinking <laughs> you know, because I was trying to get pregnant. But anyway, um, yeah. So they put all three in, but really only one was what they hoped would turn into it. And it was an easier decision to make than, paying to store to that really aren't going to live you know aren't they aren't going to turn yeah. into an embryo you know um but, but that's hard to tell somebody you know that's just put everything like a, everything you have into it they probably just didn't want to say to me this this is this is the scenario you know so um, you are unaware Totally. They were putting three. Totally. And it like was. My husband almost passed out on the way home. I was I fixing him. to say, what did, how said, did you feel? And they're like, they transferred them. Cause you know how you can see on the screen when they drop them in your uterus. And it's like, I just, I just was kind of loopy, you know? Yeah, right. And I think before you do the drip, they give you a, like a Valium. And I was just like laughing, you know, like, <laughs> you know you are not yeah, I know right I'm like, you were like, here but you not were not to be not in my mind yeah but yeah but Michael flipped out and was like wait what like three like you know and um but but anyway all that to be said you know it was what they decided to do and then they told me and I was like I can understand it now then I was not you know yeah, I was not so understanding again. yeah right so, yeah. but all that happened in the Jackson, Mississippi area, right? That happened here. Yep. Okay. Yep. So when did y'all end up in Colorado? So we went to Colorado. So that was, um, we were 33 when we did that here. And then at 30, let's see, 35, I'm trying to think y'all. 
I'm like, how old am I? 47. No, it, well, 10 years, over 10 years ago. Um, Cause we had been married about nine when we hit a wall and went through all this. So anyway, we um, took a break for several years. And then I had one of my mom's best friend's daughter went out there, very successful, had twins. Um, so that's when mom was like, you know, I really want y'all to go. And you were hearing a lot of hype when, um, what's the E? Uh, Juliana Rancic. So when they went out there, it was all, you know, CCRM, CCRM, mm-hmm. Dr. Schoolcraft, you know, you'd hear his name and I read a lot about it. And so that's when we decided to go out there. However, you know, when we do the one day workup is what they call it. It's out of pocket. It could be anywhere from like 6,000 to seven or eight. And then you pay your deposit. And if you decide to do genetic testing, that's another 2,400 on top of that. So and, you know, flight and room and board and food to get. Mu- you're like water, like you're, and even in the Mecca of it, um, well, y'all, you're, y'all, I mean, Bailey, you've been there, right? I have not. I have okay, a lot okay. of friends who've been there, but I okay. have not. So like everywhere you go, it's under one building, like the labs and everything, but you swipe your card at every <gasps> section. So like I had a, I had a um, scope and they found, uh, um, what do you call it, y'all? Not a sis, not a... Polyp. Yes. So, I mean, he just did it right there in the office and was like, oh, you have a polyp, like dead center. And it was real small, but he found it in the scope that day. Wow. And, um, but anyway, yeah, everywhere you go, every procedure you have, you have to scan your, swipe your credit card. So it just was, that, that was like nerve wracking for both of us. And like, you know, with your cycle, you have to time it right. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, my ovulation was delayed. And then we had to switch our plane ticket. So it was like before oh we even gosh. got there, we were $1,800 in the hole. You know, uh-huh. I mean, not, you know, we had it at that time, but we were already. And all I could think was, oh, I wished I could have spent that on, you know, when I get out there. It's a lot. And then when you sign the paperwork out there, um, and I'm sure I signed it here and I just was so excited and innocent and, you know, whatever. You're it's hopeful. Sign- like you're just, you yeah. sign it thinking. Doing the motions. Exactly. Yeah, like best I case scenario. Michael and I was like, just sign it, just sign it, just sign it. But then you meet with the, the person when you do your deposit and it's like, you have to sign all this stuff saying, if I had embryos and he died. Could, would he let me use them? Or if we had embryos and I died, could he use them with a future wife if he wanted to remarry your girlfriend or whatever? So it's like you're no. all these, oh the worst curveballs ever with a nervous husband. What the heck? Yeah. I've never heard and it of just, that. I mean, it really, you know, and even in that meeting, she was like, you know, we see lots of multiples and that's what he was scared of. And I said, that's not going to really happen to us because we'll be good if we can get one good you know and um she started saying well we do see especially in y'all's age bracket and you know you're gonna put more than one egg in you know more than one uh, I say egg but you know put more one more than one transfer in to to up your chances you know so yeah that was I mean that's kind of when I saw Michael go like you know I don't like, want to be here. I don't want to do this. Can it, Karen? Wow. You're scaring him. He's already yeah, scared. You're scaring, scaring him like, more. Like he was, he was kind of thinking too, what if this 
ended up being something that hurt Whitney health wise, hurt me health wise, you know, if he had to make a decision between me and a baby and it just, Mm. it was the worst. It was, I called, I called that the perfect storm because of my emotions and the medications and everything I had gone through and I pushed him with me, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think it just was like, almost like forcing his hand on it, being there. And that just wasn't fair to him. But, you know, I didn't know until we got there that we would face all that, you know, and you take that class when you first get there and you're in there with other couples. And, um, when we left, it was like, God, this is the number one place in the country. But Michael said, I feel like I'm being sold. Like, Mm -hmm it's an empire. It's a business. And he said, you know, it just shouldn't be that way, Whitney. I'd like, you know, he really wanted to adopt. And I didn't because I told him, I said, I can handle, you know, like when you go into it, you set your parameters. I can take it this far. This will be heartbreak, but I can recover. And I knew out of adoption stories, I was like, if you tell me I'm getting a baby and we drive to go get the baby, and the mother changes her mind, that will put me in a depression state that I don't know if I'll come out of it. And just because of having failed IVFs and trying for so long and, you know, it just, yeah, that would, that would, I know I couldn't make it. I wouldn't recover from that, you know? Okay. Mm. Let's, let's pause real quick. Okay. I feel like we need a quick recap here. Yep. Okay. So You've done all the, up until that point, you've done all these things, never had a positive pregnancy test. Never. Right. Okay. Never. Um, so let me ask a few questions about Michael, because obviously we know you always desperately wanted your own children. Was he in that same boat as well? Like, I mean, he, you know, he was excited at the thought of having children and building like our family, but, um, but it didn't, you know, it doesn't define men the way it defines us. You know, it's like, we have that most women have that need. Like I said, Mm -hmm. the need to nurture. Um, I thought it would complete my family if that makes sense, but we really were the two of us were a family and I just couldn't, you know, like I told y'all get emotional, but I was so driven that it put my marriage in trouble, you know, because I really lost sight of things, you know, and lost sight of him, you know? So it was so relatable. He, I mean, it's, and no one talks about it, y'all. I mean, I know y'all talk about a lot of things that y'all say no one talks about this, but no one does talk about it. And it needs to be, you know, it, it was helpful because I felt so lonely, like I told y'all the first time we did it, that, uh, you know, when I went through it there, I still didn't really have anybody to talk to that had walked through that, you know, so it was just, and I feel like there's, here comes the term again, discouraging back then, I feel like it's so much more, well, especially with like social media these days, it's so much more common, I guess, to, to talk about just in general, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's a lot more like support groups out there for people going through way more infertility, IVF. Like you have all these groups on Facebook, you can connect to people with. Um, so I can't imagine because like 2009, you know, I'd get on, you know, uh, chat rooms with, you know, and it would be like this TTC trying to conceive. I was like, 
the whole time trying to decipher what does this mean and what does that mean? And, the, you know, I, I didn't know the lingo and I didn't, right. like I told y'all, I mean, I, I was young, you know, but I just didn't know, you know, I just was just betting, hoping this would work. And, and if I had just one baby, I'd be happy, you know, if I was lucky enough to have one. So, um, I know Ashley, you said recap, so I don't want to go off on the, no, no, no. That's, yeah. I was just, before we like move on and I guess yeah. dive into some deeper subjects, I wanted to just clarify if, a few of those things before we, I was going to tell y'all in Colorado, um, when they do your labs, they put you in like a, a ultrasound that reads your blood flow in your uterus. Okay. So I had never seen anything like that. And um, like I said, I had the polyp, but also they do an endometrial biopsy and it has to be timed just right. And mine was out of phase. It was, like I said, a perfect storm. Everything went wrong. But um, but two, when I did the endometrial biopsy, they found out I had was missing, I've told Bailey this, a beta-3 integrin is what it's called. And it is basically the glue that makes the embryo adhere to the wall of your uterus and forms into a baby. And until you have that, you don't read a positive pregnancy test. So my doctor said out there, I bet you've had chemical pregnancies and you just never realized it. Oh, wow. And I said, wait, what's a chemical pregnancy? And he's got it. Go ahead. So when they said um, in Colorado, Dr. Gustafson said chemical pregnancy, and I did not know I read the term, but I didn't know, you know, it applied to me at all because I thought I've never been pregnant. And so it's, um, it's when you, you have the, um, your egg and the sperm fertilized, but it's floating around constantly because it can't adhere to anything because you don't have the beta three integrin, which is literally the glue that holds the embryo into the wall starts to grow. And that's when you're, is it uh, HCG? Mm -hmm. That's when it starts, your numbers start to. So I was like, he said, have you ever had any stints of not having a period? And I was like, all the time. You know, oh, I'd gone wow. like three months without having one, like maybe two years before that during the fall and negative pregnancy to never positive. So it was interesting that, you know, how scientific they are, <laughs> but I learned, you know, what part of the problem was. So really, what's, what's the cure for the beta three? So the beta three endocrine cure is you do a uh, depot shots, uh, yeah. which, you know, that a lot of people in college did that for birth control and you just didn't have a cycle. So I came home and the doctor here, the OB here said depo. And I said, yeah, how'd you know that? And so she had had a similar situation. And so I did the depo locally with my OB to kind of oversee things. And, um, it was a, it was a literally, another emotional roller coaster mixed in with the storm it just wasn't good for me it just it, you know the side effects were were rough and God, the hormonal changes I can't even imagine the constant had, up and down and yeah yeah it just wasn't I wasn't I wasn't in a good state of mind going into all this anyway and so it just really it uh amplified my emotions and it just didn't it was just not good you know, I don't do well with birth control. I've tried low dose, the patch, you know, different things over the years. 
um, when we were newly married and it just, it's too much for me, you know, Same. it's just not the right balance. Yeah. Control's uh, horrible. It is awful. Um, we have a whole episode on that in case y'all missed it. Um, <laughs> so good. I, we do it's, we hate it. Um, I do want to cling to something that you said a few minutes ago. That was just, it put me back in my emotions of when my husband and I were going through all of our miscarriages. Yes, your husband is your family. And like, we have such this like pressure and stigma on women. Like you're not a, a real family. I'm using air quotes. You're not, until a you, unit. you're not a family unit until you have children. But y'all, if you are listening and you are still in the throes of your infertility and trying to grow your family, you already have a family your dog, your husband, your houseplants, y'all are a unit and that is okay. Um, mm-hmm. You're just adding to your family. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that that's so important because infertility is already so hard on a marriage. It's so hard on husbands. It's look, it's worse they on us. To, they don't know what to do. Yeah. They, you know, they don't know. I mean, I told Michael, I feel so lonely. You're not doing this or that for me. And he's like, you have to ask me. You have to tell me. I don't know if I should go in the room with you during your egg retrieval or your transfer. I was by myself and there was an empty chair behind me. I cried. And he was Mm -hmm. like, all you had to do was ask me. So I was like, you know, they can't read our minds. Yeah. And and that's, that's a hard... Like you're already in this kind of super nerve wracking situation Very. where you've had, I guess at that point you had had IUIs. I don't, IVF is different. You're at this, mm-hmm. you're out of town. You're at this facility. Like it's new to both of you. Like neither one of you are kind of able to, yeah. I guess, anticipate each other's needs because you just don't know. You've never been through it. So I can definitely understand how in that circumstance, tensions can rise like you're just yeah. you're you're on edge and very very so yeah I could and then you know like Bailey just said you know when you gained when I gained perspective and was like well you know finally able to look at it it was like I totally you know took him on this ride with me and never asked how he felt and that wasn't fair you know I mean it was his marriage too and it would have been his baby too so it was like I just jumped and moved and was like a freight train with tunnel vision until I got what I wanted. And, you know, he was like, all I want is Whitney, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he's like, I want you like I'm fulfilled. Like I'm okay with, I'm good with you. I want you more than anything. Mm-hmm. So it had to make me kind of like, oh my gosh, like who wouldn't want to hear that? What wife would not right. want to hear that? Yeah, such a good husband. I mean, husband. it was the sweetest thing in the whole world, and I didn't even know to appreciate him then mm. for that. You know. So if you, it sounds like you're saying, in this whole process, whenever you were ready to tap, he was fully on board. At yes. at that point, oh wow, like, yes. He he, not that he did not care, but he. After the roller coaster y'all had been on, I think it sounds like he was ready to get off whenever, whenever you were ready, he was fine with moving on and figuring, figuring out something else too. And like I said, he wanted to adopt the whole time. You know, he said, you know, 
why don't we go ahead and get on a list or let's talk to some people about, you know, international versus in the States and how much it costs. And, um, and that alone, I had no idea. Like I have a friend that adopted domestic in the States and it was like 50,000 by the time they were done because you hit all these bumps legally and you yeah. need an attorney. And then it's almost like, you know, you just keep like, Oh, we didn't do this and we didn't do that. And we want to, make sure the mom's sure. And, you know, like that sort of thing. And I just was like, oh my gosh, I don't have that kind of money, you know, like it just, you know, that was, that was a hiccup. But like I said, the, the main thing we could have maybe figured out how to get some of that money. But the main thing to me was my heart couldn't take it. Yeah. I just couldn't, if you told me I was going to be a mom and then it was, the rug was pulled out from underneath me. I just knew emotionally I knew my limitations and that's when I was like I can't do that you know yeah and I didn't talk about it for a long time and I've had friends say um that's why y'all didn't adopt and I'm like oh yeah Michael was on board because a lot of times the dad the man doesn't want to adopt he wants his own child but that wasn't the case with us at all wow yeah yeah Okay, so let's not a recap because we've already done that, but can you give us the stats before we move towards the end? Like how long were y'all in Colorado? Total rounds of IUIs, IVF, dollars spent, breaking point, all that. So we had we were lucky enough to have friends that lived in Colorado. So we went to Denver and the one day workup is literally one day. And we flew in the night before, slept a few hours, got up. 7 a.m. had that class with all the other couples and we were lab lab work lab work lab work lab work I had the scope I had the sauna ultrasound the with the heart I mean with the blood flow and all that so it was like a full day of being poked and stuck sounds exhausting it was and he was like I mean I he did it for me but I could tell like looking back on it he was miserable he was miserable. And of course he was. It was like, I just pushed him into that, you know? And, you know, I just, I mean, it just wasn't, like I said, I I couldn't see anything but the finish line. Mm -hmm. That's all I was focused on. And um, so that one day workup was that. And it, I think by the time I came home, um, we paid the deposit. It was probably close to eight or nine thousand and that's not including the plane tickets and if we would have had to have a hotel and uh you know all that but it was like um the what what happened with us though it's like you know we had done the in vitro here years before and it didn't work and the IUIs and it didn't work and then we did letrozole like I said in between cycles and we did but like when we came back home from Colorado and they called me about the endometrial biopsy, I was hysterical because I was emotional from the shots and I just couldn't, like, I just was like exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so was he. And um, like a charge had just gone through on my card at Trustmark for like 2,400. That was for the genetic testing. And Michael was like, I can't do this anymore. I just Mm -hmm. can't do this anymore. And I was like, what? And he was like, I cannot, I just, I can't. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, are you, are you serious? And he's like, yes, I'm serious. He's like, call them and cancel it and get the deposit back. And I was like, 
Oh, no. uh, I don't know how to process this. Like, who is this person? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's what the straw that broke the camel's back right there. So we didn't, you know, CCRM, we didn't, we geared up for a cycle, but midway, Michael was like, no, we're not doing that. You know, and I think one of the major factor was that conversation we had in that room with the lady signing the papers and paying the deposit. That to me, I could see that was the beginning of him going, "Mm -mm, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. So wait, you went through all that, like the poking and prodding and all that, and then didn't Almost even get to go, didn't get to go through with like the, Mm-mm. oh, Whitney, earth shattering. Oh. I mean, earth, yeah. I mean, I was hysterical, you know, I would have been also, pounds, um, threw myself into my work, you know, put our marriage in, in, in trouble. You know, I, I, you know, we both made mistakes and we would admit, we both have still to this day admit that, but the breaking, the, the downfall of our marriage is where we found each other again. And then we had to rebuild and go to counseling. And that's when I realized, I was like, he really does want me. He loves me. We don't have to have a baby, mm-hmm. you know, and I need to you know, ask him his needs and what he wants out of life, because I can't just keep pushing him and, and, you know, in my sidecar, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. It was his life too. And I just was so driven. I didn't, I didn't consider how he felt about things and I should have, you know? So when he like put the kibosh on the whole thing, I can't imagine being hysterical and probably a little bit bitter and angry. Like I've just gone through hell. Yeah. For not, for nothing. Two of my doctors here. Um, we're just on the floor, like, wait, what? And, um, one of them said, actually two of them separate clinics, um, said you are, um, you're going to have resentment, resentment and you're going to, I'm just telling you right now, there's no way, you know, anybody's gone through that, that's not going to be resentful. And so like, you know, whenever I talk to people about that and stuff, and I've talked to Michael about it and, you know, my mom asked me one time and I said, I work on it every day, you know, because I've got to realize how lucky I am to have somebody that wants to be with me, loves me, protects me. I mean, he just, you know, it, I'm, I'm lucky. And like I said, you know, when he calls me and says, Hey, it's time to come home if I'm with the girls or something. And I think, you know, there was a day when I longed for him to do that when we were having problems and he, you know, it just was, you know, so it just, it gave me a whole other appreciation for my husband and what he wanted. And we could still have, you know, when you're going into it, you don't want to hear from people. I've had a great life without children. Um, you don't have to have kids to be happy. And it's like, that's the last thing you want to hear. Right. That's kind of like the relax. It'll happen. Yeah. No, not for, <laughs> not for us. You know, I mean, that's yeah. just that, but that's the one piece of advice that you're like, Mm-mm, nope, don't say it, you know? Mm. So it just was, yeah, it, but I still, I still, like I said, the, the want, the yearning is never gone, but I have never for one moment felt jealous or triggered by anyone that has had a baby 
and you know from CCRM or from here or I'm like a huge uh, what do you call it cheerleader for CCRM like I've had customers clients mm-hmm. whose kids couldn't have a baby and I'm like Mm-mm, CCRM and they're like really no work Mm-mm, go straight there you know because that just if you've got one shot it needs to be there you know and I, I still feel that way despite my scenario was so specific, I never even would have known that if I wouldn't right. have gone out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was just really, really, like I said, scientific, <laughs> you know? So there's this up climb. Okay. So you hustled and you did the shots and the the drugs and the hormones and the rush, 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 IUIs and Jackson, IVF and Jackson, you get ready to pull the trigger in um, Colorado. Your husband says no. What was like, and I say the downfall and, and y'all you're so supportive of, of his wants and, and you are a family, the two of you, but can you just sort of unpack for our listeners, like the grief of, oh, of yeah. laying that down and, and what it was like to sort of rebuild after that? Yeah. Well, you know, um, when the first time we went through it in my early thirties, you know, you read, uh, the, traditional Chinese medicine and you read all these books about you can still be a mom and I I do tell people that I'm like you can be a mom no matter what so I've always like if if people are having trouble here or not knowing where to go I love giving advice if they want it and I just say you know this is kind of my story and you know but the grief was insurmountable insurmountable you know it, it was I mean, like I told y'all, I lost 40 pounds. I was a shell of a human being. I mean, I just couldn't, I was in a huge dark hole of depression. Um, I just couldn't like, I mean, I was beside myself for the first time, you know, really, really bad depression. But in Michael and I working things out and talking it out with a you know, I wanted to go to a marriage counselor. I wanted to go to somebody that had never seen me or him. Mm-hmm. I wanted completely unbiased, you know, lay it all out. Let's all be honest and let's get to the root of this, what's going on. So I won't be resentful, but, um, but, you know, like I said, the books that you read, you know, like I had a friend that gave me a book and she said, read the last chapter first. And it was, you can be, you could still be a mom. Like she had done all these things and it, didn't like you said in the email didn't come to fruition and she adopted and it was like she was a mom and and so I just always tell people whenever you know if they ask me or what our journey was or did we never want kids or that doesn't bother me at all and I always say you know if it's something you know you want dead set get what you want and don't give up until you get it because I just know, like I said, the longing is always there when you see a baby, but it's never, a, um, like I said, I've never had that moment of jealousy or anything. I've been happy for people, you know, and wanting people to have a baby or, or learn from my advice and, you know, and I always say like, kind of keep marriage in your sights, you know, keep him, yeah. you know, consider his feelings because it's, it's a lot, you know, and I think so- the men don't know what to do. They just know a lady's, you know, a woman's body is supposed to be able to produce a baby. And when it doesn't, it's just hard for them to, but fatherhood doesn't define them like motherhood did, you Mm -hmm. know? So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, 
it was the the grief though Bailey was it, it was the worst it's one of the worst things I've ever been through and I've lost my little brother to drugs and um you know a lot of bumps in the road lots of hard times you know um but yeah but that was that was one of the worst things I've ever been through being told this is it no more you know Wow. And he had to say it, you know, I mean, he was miserable and that was not fair to him, you know, well, and he could probably, he could probably see the unraveling of you exactly more than you could see it. Yeah. Right. You're um, exactly right. He said, I was worried about you. I was worried about mental health. Mm-hmm. I was worried physically, you, you know, he just said, I just was so worried about you the whole time, you know? So, not that the, that's like ever uh, something that you that you get over. I don't want to say get over, but how no, long would you say beyond. that you were in the the thick of your just horrible depression, grief? Like how long did that last? Yeah. Ooh. Okay. So we went to we went to Colorado in May, and we started counseling like in late August. And I'll say I didn't come out of that depression for about seven or eight months. Like I went to a doctor and got on, you know, antidepressant and, um, and I had taken them before, but I had weaned myself off of what I'd taken mm-hmm. before trying to get pregnant all those years. And I wouldn't take anything in the in-between times. Cause I was like, it may not be good if I get pregnant, it might not be good for the baby. And that's like all I thought about, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that deep one was probably eight months full of talking to someone, a medication protocol, you know, and pre- depression is on my dad's side, like heavy, heavy on my dad's side. And so I think I was like my dad and that, that I'm real prone. I can, I can go down. And when I do, it's bad, you know? Yeah. So, um, we sympathize with you on that yeah, one. We do. We're, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're spiralers yeah. as well. We know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Can mm. I ask, you know, you said that the longing never goes away and I can, I don't know if I'm done building my family. I don't even know if Ashley knows if she's done with hers. Don't ask me that question currently, <laughs> <laughs> but has the, that, pang in your chest when you see somebody with a baby or you see a pregnancy announcement has it shifted like yeah yeah like I said you know it's not um like when I see I've never like I told y'all I've really honestly I would tell you a hundred percent I never had a problem with birth announcements or uh baby showers. I mean, I posted like 18 of them. So, I mean, I've never had any issues with that. It never brought up anything in me, but hoping that I could have that one day. Um, but yeah, but when I see a baby and like, you know, my nieces, uh, one of my nieces has a baby and she's about to have another baby. And then my, the, middle niece is pregnant right now so it's like watching them do it and holding their babies it's like oh I'm so happy we have this in our family like this is this is this is what it's about you know like and 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 sure I mean you know but I don't get like I said you know when you were saying a little pang I get just a little what could have been to me the grief 
is empty because it's what could have been, you know? So true. And one of the books said that you've got to grieve, you've got to grieve the not having one is, is almost, you know, I've never lost one, but they say that it's very parallel, that it can be that devastating, you know? It all sucks. It does. It all sucks. Flip of the coin. So, you know, we always say from the moment you get pregnant, a a baby is a, it is the evidence that God exists. I mean, it is just so, it's just amazing. And it's amazing that people go through it and don't even have any trouble. And then they realize, wow, I'm so lucky. You know, I didn't have any problems. I had a great, you know, labor and the baby's healthy and I'm healthy. And like, what else could you want? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have a deeply personal question and if you don't if you don't want to it's I feel like it might be a little hard one but I'm just I'm genuinely curious after we're talking about all this now so now with all of the perspective that you've gained after going through all this in the years and you're able to look back now do you now wish that maybe you had been a little more open to adoption or you could or would you do okay Oh yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I just, yeah. yeah. And I, and you know, I'll probably like, you know, how you always say, people always say, you know, you can handle more than you think you can. Yeah. You're stronger. You know, like my mom always says, you're stronger than you realize, you know, mm-hmm. if I would have told myself that, and if we would have adopted at 33, we wouldn't have gone through any of that. And Michael said it too. Michael said, if we would have gotten pregnant in our thirties, we wouldn't be here. The unraveling of, you know, all of our feelings, our marriage, having like a standoff is what I felt like it was like. Yeah. That's None of that would have happened if we would have adopted, you know, and he said it, he said it first. And I said, I've thought it a million times. You are exactly right. We wouldn't be here, you know, but it's being there that, I realized all the things that I had not considered and had not been, um, you know, like I said, in tune to my marriage, you know, lost, lost sight of things. That's what I always say. I lost sight of, of us, you know, and there needs to be a us to bring a baby in, you know, and yeah, we just weren't, that was not a strong point for us. It would have not been good to have a baby then, you know? Man. Yeah. As hard as it is to admit that. Yeah. But looking back. So let's jump back to Colorado just for a second, because you and I have had a previous conversation. Yes. And I want to make sure that our listeners get a full understanding of what this is. Like this is the number one fertility clinic in the country. Yeah. Yeah. In the country. Can I I jump in and ask this real quick? Who is Juliana (laughs) Rents? She used to host E. Like the news network. Oh, this, yeah. Hey, okay, remember, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think like they're married anymore, a right? Y'all? No, they divorced. Yeah, they got divorced. Okay. They had one uh, IVF I, I child now. from CCRM, which which put them on the map. Uh, you know, it, a, that's what landed Schoolcraft. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, at the time when we went, there were four Schoolcraft, Surrey, Doctor G, Doctor Gustafson. He always tells you to call him Doctor G, 
and then a fourth one. Um, but people would always say, oh, how can I make sure that I get Schoolcraft? And I said, it's a team. It's like the Mayo facility world. (laughs) When you go, you have a team and they look at each case, all their eyes are on every case. So it's not necessarily Dr. G, he would have pulled everybody in on my case, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, you were telling me like sitting in the waiting room and obviously it's very expensive, but Y'all, Whitney told me a couple of weeks ago, like just people dripping in wealth. And like, this is handbags that I've never seen, like a Hermes Kelly bag and then speaking in French. Yeah. Um, And one couple, he was appeared to be like my dad's age. Like at the time, he's probably like mid sixties. And then she was younger than me. And they were (laughs) speaking in French. um, Like I said, it's like Mayo. Cause like when you go to Mayo, you see every everybody walking around do you need a translator do you need a translator (gasps) like yes and it's like out there yeah in the in the lobby everywhere I looked everybody I was like oh I don't know if I should be here you know it just it was scary yeah because you see people that are just not in my normal league you know like you know middle class middle working class like you know and it just it was it that part kind of freaked me out a little bit but it was also refreshing to see two ladies you know a a lady couple the lesbian couple in there wanting to have their baby and I was like you know what that's pretty cool you know people just want their kids yeah yes absolutely so did y'all had y'all like saved up a lot to be able to come to go out there no, so what happened was that first round that was unsuccessful here, um, my in-laws said, you know, a lot of times it doesn't work the first time. And some doctors, like family friends had told him that, told them that. So my father-in-law was like, you pick next time where you want to go and I'll send you anywhere you want to go. Mm-hmm. And so as time went on and I kept thinking, I'm okay, I'm okay, like, maybe we'll try again in a couple of years, or let's kind of see where life leads us, and we both were just real, like I said, driven into our work worlds and all that, Um, when we decided to do it again, my mom's best friend, who is, like, the dearest thing in the world to us, and has done so much for my family, me, my mom, I mean, just, they're wonderful people. They're the most selfless people in the world and I adore them. But the, my mom's best friend like handed me a check at lunch and she oh turned gosh. it over and it was for $5,000. And I was like, I can't accept this. Cause mm-hmm. when she said she wanted to go to lunch, I was like, she's got something brewing, you know, and she got twin granddaughters from there. And so, um, she yeah she just put it under and I flipped it up and I was like I can't accept this I love you so much and you have done so much for me I mean they had my wedding reception at their home I mean just that kind of friend like Mm -hmm. amazing and um she said yes she can she said I'm gonna force you to take it you know and so um that is what gave me the the go money at that point to even get there and okay. have all that. And then my mom was like, had actually refinanced her house. I haven't told many people this in order to help us pay for the round when we went in for the kill. And she helped pay a little bit of that trip that the 5,000 didn't cover. But like I said, you know, it was 5,000 and then it was six and then it was eight. And then it was, 
you know, changing plane tickets because mm-hmm. my cycle was askew and it just was like too much. I mean, so did y'all get any of that back when y'all pulled? No. So my bank, um, yeah, my bank covered all that, the genetic, we can't, when we canceled, we got part of the deposit back. So like say the deposit was 1200, we got like 900 back of that, but um, they let all the genetic testing still go through and didn't communicate with the lab, which ironically oh was in, um, oh, where, uh, is it Aurora where that, that Call guy Aurora, in the movie theater, yeah. remember that? Yeah. That day is when the charges went through for the <gasps> genetic testing and the lab was in that town. Cause I remember going, this is so weird. Oh, it's like sheesh. Joker or some kind of Batman movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the guy had colored hair and it was, it was tragic. It was terrible. And I just looked at the, where the charges were coming from. And I called CCRM and I was like, and they were like, well, it's kind of up to it. You were responsible for calling the lab and canceling genetic. It's off our property. We outsource it. And I just was like devastated because we used all our money. We didn't have, I mean, you know, and I was oh, like, oh man. my gosh. I mean, it put my bank account. I mean, it just, it That's destroyed. That's... that was another thing. It just destroyed me. It was like, I couldn't catch a break. Right. And, um, and then I was going to say, Michael's parents gave us 5,000 when, when my mom's friends gave us 5,000, they gave us a check for 5,000. And so that would have footed a lot of it and then mom said I refinanced the house so I've got a line of credit for like 50,000 which oh bless her you know oh my god yeah well she just she wanted to be a grandmother so bad you know so badly and um you know and she is my older brother has a daughter that this is kind of ties into why this has all been so hard for me my brother was married he had addiction issues and he's good now um, but his marriage fell apart because of his, con- his consequence of his addiction. And I didn't see my niece. I saw her when she was like maybe three weeks old and I didn't see her until she was 20. And I just met her for the first time as an adult, uh, it, it, right before Thanksgiving, she reached out to us and wanted to meet um, her. And she oh came like running gosh. to me, like hugging me, running to me. And I just didn't want to let go of her. I mean, it just was the, it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. One of the best things that's ever happened to me next to my nieces having a baby was meeting my, you know, a bloodline of mine that had been hanging out there, you know, like part of my genetic makeup. It's very odd when you've got that out there because my nieces from Michael's side and my nephew have been my outlet, like I want to spoil you and I want you to have the best of everything and the best wedding and the best, I want the baby to have all this fun stuff. And, you know, it just is fun for me to do that. And so it was the closest I could get to a nurturing mother was to be, have my nieces and my nephew. And so to have this niece at 20, it was like, I mean, it's just been incredible. It really has. I mean, when she reached out to my brother, she said, um, my, you know, I've been talking to a therapist and they advised that, you know, it might be good to reach out to you. I mean, of course you want to meet your, you know, your birth father. And, um, she had a great dad that raised her and was wonderful to her. And that's her dad, you know, that's her dad. She calls him dad. And then she calls my brother, my older brother, Thomas, but she, uh, you know, she says, I love you like to me and to him. And 
my mom. And that's been like the coolest thing to see my mom go through that after How losing amazing a child. is that it's really uh and she's so cool y'all she goes to um Tulane and she's into film and she's she's got this whole artistic side and just she is amazing I'm just gonna say that she is and I love her dearly and I wish I saw her more like I said when I when I hug her I don't want to let go Cause I'm like, you find, I finally have you, you know? Oh my God. That's, that's so, so sweet. That is so sweet. Well, and that's why the baby component, infertility and not having a baby, not having my niece was devastating to me. It, it really shook me to my core because I wanted to know her. I wanted to watch her grow up and I was never told that I couldn't see her or love her. But I knew that it was better, and my sister-in-law said in a very delicate, lovely way, I love y'all, but I have to build another life yeah. And with, with her um, dad. And I said, I completely understand. And, you know, one day if she wants to find me, she will. And I've been saying that for 20 years, and then she did. So it was just like, wow, you know? That's incredible. Isn't it? It is. So oh, my mom's that's... gotten her happiness too, you know? Oh, bless it. Yeah. And that's something, you know, there's such, it shouldn't be a responsibility, but when you said your mom wanted to be a grandmother so bad, like, oh, that okay. hit me right in the chest. Like, I, yes. Like I know, I know that feeling for other relatives and sometimes it could be a good thing or a bad thing but but that also fuels your fire because you want to be a mom sure. and you want to watch your husband be a dad but you also want to give this incredible gift to your family your parents yeah. yeah yeah and my dad's gone and Michael's dad's gone and um they both died like within a couple of months of each other like five months of each other so that was like a doozy that was last year the year before last so um we just had we've had some hard knocks um, and it just, you know, uh, but like I said, like my nieces and my nephew and, you know, they've been to me, they've been like the light of my life, like not to sound cheesy, but they have been. And I don't I think that's cheesy. I love watching them grow up and, you know, loving on them and still, you know, they're older now they're having their own and they still, you know, I still text and say, hi, you know, I love you how's the baby or how are you feeling? Or, you know, I just, yeah, that's been a, that's been a saving grace for me. It really has. So we just interviewed a woman who made the decision purposefully to, to have a childless life. Um, and, and there's this big, you know, stigma that people without kids, they've got all this money and all this time and they travel and they have all these things that people who have kids don't. And you, you have spoken so lovely of loving your nieces and nephews and, mm -hmm. and their children. What else, if anything, you don't have to have an answer. Do you and Michael do to fill your time? Do you have a favorite vacation spot? Do you have hobbies? Do you hike? What fills your days? So we are super into our animals, like, like a lot of people. Yeah. Um, we've had, you know, 20 years of marriage and we dated for five. So 25 years, we've had lots of dogs. We've had three simultaneously at the same time, and we've decided that two is a good number. <laughs> but like I'm in here, one's right here, and um, and one's looking out the window right now. But this little guy's Omar. Oh, 
and he is a long-haired Doxy, and he's about eight. Yeah, eight. I got him when I was kind of down, and um. anyway, yeah, we've got less than one minute, right? Okay. We can start over. And that's George. But um, but yeah, our dogs really bring us together, and uh, and we we dabble in gardening. Like it's not every season. Same. Calls it the uh, <laughs> Garden of uh, is it like constant defeat, but some triumphs or something like that. And nice. I love it. He's like real dry whip. But uh, but yeah, I mean, and we, God, we have a lot in common. We text each other sometimes during the day, funny stuff, lines from movies. You know, we just uh, have our own language is what one of my best friends says. You you have your own language but with you and Michael. And that, she's like, it's really cool that y'all do that. So, I mean, that's just kind of. Um, we're just so thankful for your time and meeting your dogs and your family and hearing your story. Um, I want to thank you for your honesty of what it's been like to grieve and start over and rebuild your marriage after something like this. And you're right. It's. That's why Ashley and I are so proud and, and protective of what this podcast. Yes, because we just want to have every woman have a space to where her her story is spoken to, her heart is spoken to. And um, reach out, you know. Yes. Like I said, you know, I mean, even in the, the time, like we said, you know, Ashley, we were laughed about like back in the day, but <laughs> there wasn't anything like this. And it's just so... <laughs> Omar, <laughs> can it, man? <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story. We are so appreciative of your vulnerability and your honesty. Um, and I think your overall message of just, it's, it's such a, a mix, like don't give up and go for what you, what you want, but then also know when it's okay to call it and your limitations. Yeah. Know your limits. It's okay. Yeah. I think yeah. probably okay to take lots of breaks. Yes. Yeah. And I think probably your, your marriage has to be stronger now. Way. After way. y'all have yeah. overcome so much. My mom so was much. like, I'll give it to you that y'all chose your marriage over that. She said that speaks volumes of y'all's commitment to each other. Yeah. So. Well, because who knows, like if you had kept on pushing, yeah. you know what I mean? So I think that's, I think there's something to be said for that. Um, thank you for saying that yeah to know, very... to know your limitations and to know that what you do have is the family more important and should be cherished a little bit absolutely. more than what you don't have because absolutely you're not guaranteed to get what you don't have no <laughs> you know that's no. true that's true so I, that's that's amazing to hear that y'all y'all fought through and yeah so that's it's very commendable it's a, yeah. that's part of a happy ending for sure. Oh gosh. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're just incredibly thankful for you sharing Thank your story you for asking me. Yes. And I hope that anybody listening, if you're in the thick of infertility or miscarriage or debating where to go next, I hope that you find connection in Whitney's story and that you know your limits. You can protect yourself. You can go for it and explore your options. And if you are still looking for motherhood, we pray that you find it and that you can mother anything, anytime. Very much. Thank you so much, Whitney. Thank y'all. We'll see you soon. All right, guys. We'll see you next Sounds week. Thank, good. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.